Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Stay Up with Hugo Best. Hello and welcome to the Writer's Way podcast. I'm your host, Justin DeMarco, and today we're in Beacon, New York, at the home of Erin Summers. She wrote the debut novel, Stay Up With You Go Best, which was one of my favorite of 2019. She's an incredible follow on Twitter and other social media, and she's also had some really, really great essays and short stories that have come out recently. Erin, thank you so much for letting us do this. Thanks for coming to Beacon. Absolutely. I saw that you posted on Twitter that you hadn't been asked to do a podcast for a while, so I figured I had to ask. Yeah, it's been about, you know, it had been about a month. Um, I like to I like to go on podcasts, so have me on, people. I'm very game. Okay, that's good to know. And can you tell us a little bit about Stay Up With Hugo Best? Sure. Um, it is the story of a retiring late-night talk show host, Hugo Best, uh, who has a chance encounter with the writer's assistant from the show, June Bloom, um, at a bar after the show wraps and on a whim invites her out to his country house in Greenwich, Connecticut. And she surprises herself by accepting and it kind of unfolds from there. And one of the things that I loved about the novel was, yes, it was really, really funny, but the story had a lot of heart to it. And that was something that I felt like you could get the nuance of the characters and they were very three-dimensional. And for you, I know that you have not worked in late night TV. Uh, I know that you have not had any experiences with like a David Letterman or anything like that. Uh, But you started this story, I believe, as a short story in 2014, which was kind of amazing to me because it was before Harvey Weinstein, which was, I believe, late 2017. So how did that idea come to you? Um, It came to me... um because I saw what was happening and what has always happened um, between young women trying to make careers in the arts and older men um, who are established in their careers. Um, I didn't work in TV, but I had gotten an MFA and was trying to be a writer. um, And I saw, I was never in one of these kind of compromising situations um, where I was given the opportunity to take advantage of this power imbalance or was taken advantage of myself, but I saw it happening um, to other young women I knew. Um, and I it made me mad. And uh, it seemed interesting and it seemed unfair and the power dynamic seemed worth considering um, and thinking about um, in, in a novel length thing. Uh, so that's kind of what made me want to do it. And at the same time, I just found Late Night to be fascinating um, I, I've said this before talking about the book, but, um, I was particularly interested in Jay Leno, just thinking about Jay Leno, if you ever had to like interact with Jay Leno, um, in person, how that would go. I, I can't really like get in there. Like, I don't see like that being like a chill, fun hangout. Um, and I feel like that would be the coolest thing ever. I feel like, like, I just want to be on Jay Leno's show riding in one of the cars like doesn't that look fun no you're like absolutely not it does well see like yeah that's like what the book is about like it it is fun but can you but then you have to like talk to the guy (laughs) (laughs) and i always felt that and this is actually really interesting because when i was reading i was trying to figure out is this based on david letterman or jay leno or jimmy fallon and somebody who popped into my mind was brian williams and Maybe it's because he hosted SNL. 
Uh, but I was like, I just kept seeing Brian Williams. And I don't know if you've gotten that before. That's interesting. That's a new one. I haven't gotten that before. I think it's like, um, he's he's more a composite than anything. Well, that's what I was going to say yeah. is that it is a composite and that you did such a good job of not like, oh, I'm just going to really focus on, let's say, David, the David Letterman scandal that kind of happened before was that around 2009 I think or 2010 yeah around then yeah so then 2014 you're writing the short story that ends up becoming your debut novel uh and that was just something that was really interesting to me was the sense that yeah I that Hugo Best was Hugo Best it wasn't this is a caricature of David Letterman or Jay Leno yeah, I hope I hope he comes off as has his own person um, and not just, you know, a reimagined David Letterman or something like that. And his sidekick, Boney Suarez, was hilarious. I love that character. <laughs> Thanks. How did you come up with him? Um, well, you know, they always have a sidekick um, and I wanted to make the sidekick a little bit bitter and like not as loyal as, you know, as you would think when you right. see them on TV, yeah. right? Like, oh, they're best friends. Like, they're definitely getting beers later. Yeah, with the chummy rapport, I kind of wanted to dig in and think about what is really, what's really going on there. And, like, I could hear the voice of, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Stay Up with Hugo Best. Like, as I was reading, like, I could imagine it 100%. And what, first off, one out of 10, what did you think of my announcer voice? It was, it was great. I think you have a, a second career. What number are you giving me? One out of 10. Oh, um, seven. I was giving myself a six one. So yeah. you're, very ki- <laughs> yeah. you're very kind. You're very generous. Um, and yeah, then getting into even like the other characters. So one of June Bloom's friends was the writer who had like this show that he was trying to pitch, but like seemed like Everybody was like, hey, dude, like enough with the show or get something else like going on. And you do such a good job of talking about that weird mix of being hopeful, wanting to be successful in a creative career. And when are you realistic and when are you not realistic? I think that's probably the hardest part, because if you don't do something as a creative, it will never happen. But there are just some bad ideas or maybe some people aren't as talented as others. So when you were doing your research or even drawing from experiences in your own life, how did did that influence the novel in any way? Yeah, that's um, that's kind of the whole thing, right? Is that it's sort of at its core about being a young person discouraged in following their dreams and sort of like the sham of following your dreams. Um that's like what I kind of what the whole thing was born out of that, you know, I was at the end of my 20s. It really grinds you down trying to like be a writer. Um, and, you know, I was I've luck, been lucky enough to have some success. But uh, I know plenty of people who who haven't, you know, had had any luck yet and it just is like, how do you how do you keep the faith? How do you know if you're like if it's worth pursuing for another 10 years, if you're going to get anywhere, um, or if you should just cut your losses and give up. And it's a really tough thing. Most of the people I know are writers or artists of some kind. And it's something people grapple with every day. I'm still having published one novel. I'm still grappling with it. Really? Is this worth it? Yeah, absolutely. And I find that so hard to believe because when I was reading the novel, I didn't believe it was your debut novel because there was such a wisdom to it. And I feel like sometimes you may read about sexual politics or about a 29-year-old woman, and you can tell that maybe the writer is a 29-year-old woman, and like, and it comes across. With you, there was definitely that sense, and I'm speaking to your prose here, but 
there was that sense that you were an authority figure. You knew what was going on. You didn't pull any punches. And it was a messy story. The characters kind of sucked. Like, they were excellent characters, but I mean, as people. Like, I don't think I would want to hang out with Hugo Best. I don't think I would want to hang out with June Bloom. That was one of the biggest things, I guess, for me. Yeah. Um, thank you. I would not position myself as wise. Uh, I but think I'm you're glad so wise. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know about that. But thank you very much. I will accept the compliment. It was the way that the writing came across. When I'm reading, I don't like when there's like a description of something that you feel like you don't need. And you have one scene in a bar, which I was cracking up. Can you just explain how you came up with the idea for what you filled the bar with? So they go to, um, Hugo and June go to a comedy open mic night at uh, like a strip mall bar in Connecticut called Frogger's Bar and Grill. And it's summer, it's Memorial Day weekend, summer's just begun. And so they've like made it into Frogger's Beach and covered uh, cover the ground with sand, with like six inches of sand. Um, but they've gotten the sand from Long Island Sound, which is like silty. So it's not, it, it doesn't really read as sand. It, seems like dirt um and what gave me that idea I think was just like I've been to a couple parties frat parties at uh Columbia when I was in college um I went to NYU but sometimes we would go to the occasional frat party at Columbia where they like brought in sand and had like a disgusting party um with six inches of sand on the ground and I just like hated it (laughs) and (laughs) I thought that was brilliant because I that's why I was like where did this come from so thank you. Yeah, yeah. And the idea of doing that at like an establishment where they serve food is so vile to me too, just considering there's like that moment where um, the bartender tells her the things that people tend to drop on the ground and it's like straw wrappers and money and mozzarella sticks and Ooh. they also puke in it. And <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Going back to the topic of feeling like you made it or trying to make it or do you ever really make it? You wrote an article recently in, oh, Oprah's Magazine, uh, which was a great read. And you talked about when you lived in L.A. and that experience kind of being around fame, uh, famous actress, uh, unnamed. uh, So you're safe, whoever you were. Uh, You can DM me if you want to know who it is. (laughs) You talk about not knowing, kind of not having maybe that sense of self and seeing other people who are successful and being around it but at the same time the ones who are around the fame seem like they were losing themselves at the same time and I felt like reading that personal essay and having obviously loved Stay Up With Hugo Best that there are a lot of through lines or similarities that I could see and I was just curious about that experience for you. I was terrible. I hate it. Los Angeles so much and I love LA I miss LA so much I lived there for one year as well and it was one of those things that you don't have great gloomy days like today in New York LA it's sunny and beautiful all the time well yeah the weather's great and you can like eat some great like macrobiotic food I don't I, know I thought you were gonna say Mexican that was why I was nodding along oh yeah <laughs> you can eat great Mexican t- there's great food there I don't know I found like the atmosphere of like striving for fame that is everywhere. Um, Maybe you knew cooler people than me. Well, I was lucky. I mean, I went to Emerson College and this could be a tie-in of how I know your sister Molly. Uh, But a lot of 
the Emerson graduates moved to LA that last semester. So I actually had more friends and have more friends in LA than I do in New York. So for me, it was such an easy transition. Um, yeah, that's that sounds cooler than what happened to me. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I just knew people who were very impressed with fame. And even if they probably would deny that the way they acted was just like, they want to be around famous people, They you know, whatever. Um, and I thought that that was pretty gross. I wasn't into it. Um, and And yeah, yeah, that's what the essay kind of deals with and an interesting thing in the book um and sort of the the whole thing the book is leading up to is is june grappling with whether or not with the idea of fame and whether or not she actually wants to be famous and concluding that in spite of herself she kind of does um which i think is probably true of everyone like as much as I disdain being famous like it's still like maybe I do want to be famous how are you dealing with it how are you dealing with people reaching out to you to be on podcast was that happening before you published the novel it was not happening uh and it's still not happening it's happening (laughs) it's it's, I mean it's not happening to an overwhelming degree it's um it is really weird to be a public person of any kind I would say and and at first um when I was having to do book book events and meet people and talk to people it felt like I was performing my identity a little bit like I have to be like cool me if that exists and um then I just kind of like got over it and now I just say whatever you're one of my favorite people to follow on social media I hate Twitter I think it's just like a toxic place but I find joy (laughs) in your posts in your tweets uh and there's so much wisdom there so one of the things that you mentioned uh it was reasons to write and you had a really great thread and can you talk about that a little bit as People, a lot of people listening to this podcast are trying to become novelists themselves and they wonder sometimes, am I doing it for the right reasons? What do you think are the reasons to write? Um, yeah, so the the post um, that you're talking about, I was um, sort of referring to this David Foster Wallace idea that has become kind of famous and widespread that like the primary reason or the primary function of literature is to make people feel less alone, which is something uh, David Foster Wallace once said in an interview. And so that has become kind of the, the canned or stock answer to the question of like, why do you write? Why did you write this novel? Oh, I wanted to make people feel less alone. And I think that that is just like bullshit <laughs> and it's, I love that. No, because it, it's so honest. It's uh, it's so sentimental, and it's so, um, I I think it's untrue. Like I think that's also like probably taking whatever um, DFW was saying out of context. Like I don't think that that is the only reason David Foster Wallace wrote. Like he was swinging for the fences. He was like aiming for immortality among other things. Maybe he also wanted to make people feel less alone, but there's probably, he probably had, you know, a dozen reasons that he sits down to write and there's no right or wrong reason to write. Being entertaining is valid. Personal enjoyment is valid because you're good at it is valid. And I think people could be a little less like sanctimonious about it. Well, I, I love that. And I just wanted to make sure that other people out there heard that because it is something, especially I feel like if you're writing a book that 
has a lot of humor to it. That is a funny book too, that it was so entertaining and I enjoyed it. It was something that you could read at the beach and it was a very heavy subject matter, but it was still light. And you were able to find that balance, which was really, really great. And I was curious what your journey as a writer was like. Did you know at a young age, were you somebody who loved to read books and you loved to write? Were you writing short stories or like performing for your family when you were a kid or something like that? I came from a household. We had a house full of books growing up. Both my parents were readers and everybody read. um, And my sisters are really brilliant. So everybody was always interested in that. And I, I kind of knew that I was creative and wanted to be a writer from like, whatever age five six seven whatever but also a weird thing in my family is that we were encouraged to go into like to go almost to trade schools where we would like emerge with a practical degree and that's what's ridiculous is that for me that translated into going to NYU film school which I like was able to sell my parents on the idea that like this is a trade school and I will emerge with technical skills like I will be able to you know, be a film editor and that's something I could fall back on or I'll be able to like be a cinematographer as if these things are like... Wait, so why did you make me set up the cameras today? (laughs) Because I didn't emerge with any of those skills. Oh, because I was like, Erin, like you saw me struggling. You could have been like, let me frame this shot for you. Well, no, because then I got there and I was like, I, uh, what I'm, the only thing I want to do here is be a screenwriter. So I'm like going to ignore this like expensive education and setting up lighting and cameras. But you're doing it. I think that's one of the coolest things now because there's some great news which is that stay up with hugo best is going to be made into a movie it is you are writing the screenplay for it yes it is i'm writing the second draft right now so how great is that for you to know that you knew exactly what you wanted to do and then followed through and did it like it may have taken let's say more time than you were thinking when you were in college but you're doing it that has to be like a huge weight off of you It is amazing to have justified going to NYU film school. I am amazed that I was able to pull that off because it it is insanely wasteful. (laughs) But it's helping you now. It may not have been the way that you would have drawn it up or that your family would have liked, but it's happening. So can you talk a little bit about that or even working on the screenplay? Because with a novel, you have much more room to experiment and to explore. And with a screenplay every page costs money. It costs money to make. So you have to be able to make sure that every scene needs to be there. Every character may like, do you have to cut characters from your own novel? Yeah. I Really? Yeah. And as in this draft, Julian's gone. Really? Yeah. And I felt like Julian was such a big part yeah. of the novel. I mean, maybe he'll come back, but in this draft, he's gone. Um, who else is gone? Oh, the other boyfriend back home is gone. Logan is gone. So like, Every th- I wasn't everybody. a big fan of Logan. No. Well, I mean, every single I mean, character he was needed. is an asshole he was in the needed. book. Yeah, he yeah. was needed in the novel, but like, I wasn't a big yeah. fan of him. Yeah. Um, no, so he's gone. And then there's just, yeah, there's like a lot of, um, a lot of cutting has gone on. And also, things just have to be... People have to have a stronger motivation in a film. Like it has to, be, there has to be a, a more propulsive element than a novel, where you're just like along for the ride with this character, and like her motivations are kind of unclear, and she doesn't know what she's doing, and it's like you can't really like have someone drifting along in a movie as easily um, because it's just like too boring. You can't be boring. 
The reason I'm smiling at you right now, though, is because that film school education 100% paid off. I hope Listen so. to you talk. Well, yeah, you're you're you talking know exactly me into what it, you're doing. I, I do. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my best. So starting with the short story of Stay Up with Hugo Best, then writing the novel version of it, and now this screenplay. What is your process like for that, and what are the major differences in those? different mediums. So starting with the short story, I would never make an outline for a short story. I just sort of start and let the voice drive it. And where it ends up, it ends up. And I sort of build the structure along the way. Um, so I wrote that. Didn't exactly work as a short story, which I found out um, but when no one accepted it. No publications oh, accepted. That. <laughs> That's okay. It, it, it ended, out, ended up all right. Um, and uh, but then it gave me, so it gave me basically the armature of the novel structure because it already had the four day structure. Actually, in the short story, it was three days. So you got rejected. It didn't get picked up by any literary magazines, but yet something told you to keep going. And what was that something? It was, it was good. You knew it was good. I knew it was good. And I thought that the characters were interesting and I knew that that um, story, like the power dynamic um, at the center of it was interesting. And I just like instinctively, I was like, this is, this idea has legs. Um, yeah. So then I was like, maybe it's just too, it's too diffuse. Like it's not, it needs to be filled in. It needs to be flushed out. So I had the structure. So then I just like filled it in, which was, I mean, to go from, it was a long short story, which also I think was probably why it didn't get placed. It was 8,200 words. There's oh, wow. like, I feel like it's usually like 3,000 or 5,000 yeah. is a sweet spot, right? Can't really place an 8,200 okay. word, <laughs> yeah. word yeah. story anywhere. So um, yeah, but that's still only 8,200 words of, you need 75, you need 75K for a first novel, all you young novelists out there. So yeah, no, so I just divided it up into four sections and I started at the beginning. And then if I got bored or stuck, I would go move, like hop to the next section and, and write some of that um, until I was done. So how long did that take going from the short story to the completed first draft of the novel? Uh, about 15 months total. So like a year of drafting and then a few months of revision. Oh, that's great. So you yeah. were able to move really quickly once... Yeah. Once you're, yeah, once you're reviving. Once, yeah. Once I was like, and, and even once I was drafting in earnest, like a year of drafting is not very, not very much at all. Um, and I did that by setting uh, a daily word goal, which is 500 words a day. So I would hit 500 only on, um, only on weekdays though, because I have a kid. So I have to pay attention to my kid on weekends. Um, so I would try to, That's very yeah, good. <laughs> on weekdays she's on her own. Um, but uh, no, so I would try to hit 500 words and often... I would exceed that, but I would like let myself off the hook if I hit my 500 for the day. Um, so once you like once you get on a regular schedule like that, the drafting moves pretty fast. Um, and then with the screenplay, it's totally different. So the producers um, who've optioned it, like the first thing they want to see is a treatment, which is a, a like a pretty thorough outline. So I had to go back and read my book again. Uh, which what is was like, that experience like for you? Every time I have to read it now, I'm like this thing again jesus christ like <laughs> how long have you been with stay up with hugo best at this point and was it called stay up with hugo best when you were writing the short story yeah it's okay. always been called that okay. um so since since 2014 so okay. yeah so i mean so five years right <laughs> yeah yeah 
it's older than my daughter my daughter's four that's such a cool like parallel though yeah um and and does she love stay up with like Hugo Best like I'm assuming she didn't read it but like the cover like is she obviously she's a fan of you but like do you think she understands what's kind of going on like what you do for a living sort of I took her to the book launch she came and she was like a nightmare what she was bad i mean she was three she was bad she was like wild she was like running around she was when i was actually reading my mom was there so she like took her uh you know off to the side and whatever but she was like you know a three-year-old doesn't know what they're doing at a book launch which is great though i feel like it gives like such new life to it and wasn't it the movie finding neverland where one of the ideas was to bring children to see peter pan because children appreciate good work they appreciate art and they don't have kind of what you were talking about before like that bit of like pretension like oh like art should be like this like art with a capital a children are the best audience because if they like something or if they're interested they're in and if they're not they're out and you'll know so my mom was a first and second grade teacher for 40 years and i would go in and read to her class from time to time and if i wasn't bringing my a game Oh, the looks on those kids' faces, they let me know it. So I think kids are the greatest audience ever. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm going to insist that she keeps coming to book events. Perfect. Uh, perfect. Uh, but, and bring uh, her friends. She, Oh, my God. Yeah, but she was not. She she doesn't quite know how to behave at a book event yet. Um, does anybody really? <laughs> no, seriously. Like, Does anybody really know how to behave at book events? I kind of don't understand them. I like them, but I still don't yeah, get it definitely the people who ask questions at the end definitely don't know how to behave <laughs> <laughs> they are they're totally off base what's so. the weirdest question you were asked on the book tour i don't think that um i didn't really get anything weird really no i got the same th- i got the same things over and over just okay. like who is hugo based on and I don't even know. Intelligent. I mostly got really intelligent questions. Well, I was, I was gonna say. So yeah. it's like questions I've asked you so far. So all the yeah. intel- all the intelligent. <laughs> yeah. Ones. No. I get. I've been. I've been lucky that people people don't insult me too much. But I've um I've well, been at other readings where it, like in the Q and A it just like goes off the rails. Well, there was one tweet that you wrote that was hilarious, which was a review of Stay Up with Hugo Best. Can you talk about that with the bird expert? Yeah. So there's this guy who's uh. A self-proclaimed bird expert, some kind of professor, who's uh, <laughs> wrote um, in a Goodreads review that he got the book because there was a bird on the cover, and the, but then he was disappointed that it wasn't about birds, and he gave it one star. Were you like, it's a plastic swan? It's a pool float. Yeah, it's very obviously. It's not like it's a photorealistic bird. That's why I'm so confused. Like, what type of expert are you? He's just like going around willy-nilly buying up books with birds, birds on the everything cover? Yeah. birds and then when it's not literally about a bird he gives it a one star review. what do you think his favorite movie or book is like the hitchcock the birds i don't know that's is i guess that one's about birds like people getting attacked by that yeah probably birds getting revenge that guy's probably into the birds other than that you think i don't he gave know. that a five <laughs> he gave that a yeah. five star rating maybe the goldfinch that's like a painting about a bird is very central in that um what else Jonathan Franzen's freedom isn't a bird figure. Well, that's what, and he, yeah, like I even read articles how he loves to go like bird watching. Yeah, a famous Uh, birder. Yeah, uh, which was like something that was a little like 
it was like a new world for me because my dad actually used to train homing pigeons, but it's a different, like he's looking for rare species. Like my dad was teaching these homing pigeons how to come back to our house from like a mile away, then two miles, then 10 miles. And one time uh, he had a bird that won a race in like Pittsburgh, I think. It came back from Pittsburgh and he came in first place. That's amazing. Right? Yeah, very cool. Like when you think about it, but when I was like in high school, it was like the most embarrassing thing. Like my dad was flying birds. Like what's more like Italian and weird than that? And going back to the movie though, I know we took a little detour, um, but you were talking about the treatment and writing the outline and you needing to read Step with Hugo Best again. Yeah. So I'm assuming everything went well with the treatment that you started writing the screenplay. Yeah, I turned in a treatment. They said, looks great. Go go for it, write a draft. Wrote a first draft. And they had some notes. Um, so I'm integrating the notes and I'm about to turn in a second draft. And fingers crossed. They've very, been great. They're Very cool. Uh, this producer Eric Robinson um, at the Gotham Group is amazingly smart and had like really brilliant suggestions that like made me want to rewrite the novel. Really? So, yeah. Well, and I'm always curious about that too, like the hands-on approach because you do hear that films. There's a lot of people involved in the making of a film and writing a novel. It could be you, maybe some trusted readers, an agent or agents, and an editor. So, what has that experience been like? for you working now with a different team on the same piece, on the same work? It's really weird, but I'm just, I, I t take notes easily. I never get offended by notes um, unless they're from my husband and I like <laughs> lose my mind. I cannot take a note from him, but anyone You're else. You're like, damn it, Josh. Yeah, I am like, how dare you? Um, he, has, he has a lot of good suggestions, but they just like, I get so mad. But anyone else, like in a professional <laughs> capacity, like an editor, um, I'm very lucky that um, my agent as a policy doesn't request changes, which is really? not, not the norm. Um, and that's, that's amazing. It's like, so I gave her a draft and then didn't have to do like six months or a year more work on it before she submitted it. Um, and your agent's actually like an industry legend though. Yes. So she is amazing. Esther Newberg, she was an aide for Robert F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, 1968. Uh, and any like celebrity or any who's who as a writer, I feel like Esther Newberg represents them. She represents a lot of cool people. Yeah. Yeah. She's so what's great. it like working with her? Um, it's been amazing working with Esther. She is so, she's brilliant. She's so competent. I've never felt anything but totally secure with her. And she, it's been like a life-changing experience. She takes care of everything. ICM takes care of everything. Yeah, they've been great. I love her. And how did that connection happen? Was it a query? Did she find your writing somewhere? So I had the, I finished my manuscript and I was like ready to start querying. I was querying and I had, um, I was in touch with a couple of agents who had found me through my other work, through short stories I'd published and also through, I did um, a fellowship at the Center for Fiction, the Emerging Writer Fellowship, and they organize these dinners where you meet with agents and you like try to schmooze them and whatever. So I had a few people that I'd like had been in touch like, oh, and you have something, send it to me. So I had a couple bites, like people who like were willing to take me on. And then um, during this whole process, my mom was like, my mom is a principal um, in Darien, Connecticut, a, a middle school principal, and was like, you know, my friend Marge, her aunt, who works at the district office, her aunt 
is a literary agent and it's like you know it's like a mom thing so you're like that's yeah incredible. yeah thanks mom that's like that's sweet but like you don't really know what you're talking about and uh thanks anyway I think I've got it covered so then I you know was in the midst of this process and I was about to like make a decision about it and I was nervous and whatever and she was like you know you should really get in touch with Marge's Ann and I was like mom whatever like this so this <laughs> happened like a few times and finally I was like what is Marge's Ann's name and she was like her name's Esther Newberg and she's the co-president of ICM and I was like why didn't you lead with that mom yeah I was like okay you win this time like I have to follow up your like mom lead I was like okay tell Marge that I like I'm I'm interested and put to put me in touch with Esther and Esther was like send the manuscript so I said it I don't think Esther takes like cold queries so so I sent via Marge I sent uh <laughs> Esther the manuscript and I was amazed that she loved it we had a conversation so I'd like been talking on phone to a- the phone to agents where you like sort of like interview each other so I did that with Esther and there wasn't even a question of like okay I'm gonna think about it and get back to you I was just like okay let's let's do it and then so that was on December 16th and by January 16th I had a book deal wow and that keep in mind the holidays were in between so like everybody in publishing went home for like two weeks well and I think the New York Post has dubbed her the most or one of the most powerful literary agents yeah. in the world she's, so she's incredible she's a legend it, though like yeah, she yeah. loved it and she made it happen she loved it and she made it happen and she's it just it was really like a dream come true for me like m- one of the writers that made me want to be a writer um was george saunders like back uh in college he cracked it open for me and like you know made me see that everything doesn't have to be like some pretentious heavy thing written by like a very very smart person that maybe like i could do it too so it was just like hugely amazing and a huge honor to have the same agent as him. Like that How is crazy incredible. Is that? that is crazy. And by the way, like shout out mom, right? Yes. So I have to, I can't believe one of my mom's things worked and I'm resentful that one of my mom's <laughs> things worked <laughs> because like now she always has that. Oh, forever. And forever. Like, I can't tell you how many times like my mom, I'll, like I'll always say that is my biggest supporter and she'll go up to people and it could be so embarrassing sometimes like, oh, this is my son, Justin. He's a writer. Do you know anybody in publishing? And a lot of times I'm like, mom, like, please, like, that's so embarrassing. But I guess I should tell her to keep going. Keep go- Yeah. Yeah, I know. They got to sometimes it works out. Okay. I don't know. And then I sent when the book sold, I sent Marge a nice bottle of champagne. Real so nice. Marge deserved it. Marge she, deserved it. 100%. She, she made it happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's an awesome story. Yeah. It's so cool. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I guess another big thing that you do too is you're the reporter for Publishers Marketplace, right? You do the yeah. daily lunch. Yeah. So I send out the, the daily email. So talking about being in the know and having insider industry information because i read the publisher's lunch to get information about the publishing industry you're getting that information and writing about it before anybody else knows what's going on you are the ultimate insider i guess you are i guess i guess guess. like i'm relying on this newsletter and you're the one writing this newsletter yes i write it um with my boss michael cater who is um a who he is the ultimate insider well Uh, your team your team yes sort of being like professionally someone people tell gossip to publishing gossip 
But um, it's so important because yeah. I feel like one of the comments I had a novel that was rejected like 70 plus times. I talked about it on some other episodes. And one of the takeaways was an agent said, you need to look at Publishers Marketplace because you need to see the novels that are selling right now. And your comps should be novels within a year or two. So at first I was really like frustrated. I was like, how can I know, like, how can I write a novel and plan for the future? Like if it was published in a year, but then it was so helpful because you need to read the current books to look at the trends. You're on the inside. You see all the trends that are happening. What do you think are some trends right now? Um, in, in terms of like what is selling? Yeah. What, like if somebody is looking to, let's say, start a novel today, what should, what advice would you have for them? I would say disregard any trends. Really? In terms of if you are deciding, I mean, okay, so like when I started writing this book in 2014, like several years pre-Weinstein, I had no thought in my mind as to whether that was like going to crest and become like a cultural moment. There's no way to know what's going to happen. You have to write, you just have to write what interests you and you have to write it as well as you can and focus on making it great because like the thing that you're writing about could become like, by the time you finish the book, could become the most relevant topic. Um, But I think that's like a hard thing. And this is something that I've been thinking about in terms of writing as a profession, writing as a business though, because let's say that you love birds talking about that topic and you could write the most incredible novel about birds. But if nobody cares about birds, it doesn't really matter. And I guess your rebuttal could be like, yeah, well, if they're good characters and it's a good story, it'll find its way. But going back to that and getting that advice from the agent, do you think that's advice I should disregard? About No, it's good to... I would keep abreast of contemporary fiction and keep abreast of what is selling that doesn't hurt to know if you're like in the right ballpark as i think that as soon as like a trend is observable and like what kind of fiction is selling it's already crested right so like if i am seeing that a lot of um like uh women's dystopias like in the vein of like the testaments or um that book red clocks or um the water cure, like these books about like women living in dystopias. If we're like observing that, like a lot of those books are coming out, like that wave has already crested, right? Like there are too many of them already. So what happens like if that was the next novel you wanted to write? I mean, you just have to make it really, really good. And I guess that's what it comes down to, right? At the end of the day is make it great or do at least the best you can do with it, right? The best you can do. Yeah. And there was even that moment, the Gillian Flynn, the gone girl moment. And then there was the girl on the train. And it seemed like for a stretch there, a lot of the best-selling novelists had girls somewhere in the title. Yeah. And some of that, they obviously, cash, like some of those books that came after the Gillian Flynn, like w- were cashing in on that trend. Um, I don't know. I think that's really cynical. And I think that like after the first one breaks the ground... You don't want to be like the eighth version out of okay. it, you know, like you don't want to be like um, Michael Keaton and multiplicity, you know, where you're like, it's a great reference, the worst, po- you know, you're a copy of a copy of a copy. And then it's just like the most watered down thing in the world. And, and then it's like got no artistic value. I don't know. It's also really cynical. Like everyone just like write the thing you're interested in and write it like as well as you can and make it as original as possible i know that like maybe makes me sound like pollyanna-ish but hopping on a trend isn't isn't what's up 
So starting with Stay Up with Hugo Best as a short story in 2014, then having the novel come out in 2019, and now writing revisions on the screenplay, is there ever a point where you're like, Hugo, June, I've had enough of you? First of all, just really lucky that like anyone gives a shit about this at all. And I've like, you know, to publish a novel is incredible to even finish writing a novel is incredible and that someone wants to make it into a movie is incredible um that said (laughs) like it's it's been a long time I'm ready I'm excited to start a new project I have um a new novel in the works and I'm excited uh once I finish the script to get back to it and make up some new stuff and are you somebody who can talk about what you're working on as you're working, or do you like to wait till you have a draft and then you'll talk about it? I like to I like to wait same, because same. Yeah. yeah, I feel um, pretty superstitious about it, um, and also it's just like everything before it before it's a finished draft, it's just up in the air as to like whether it's gonna work, you know? Yeah. So, and at this point, having written a successful novel. Do you feel like you have a better sense of your process or do you feel more comfortable knowing that I did this in the past, I know this will work again? Or is it different because it started out as a short story that turned into a novel and this time you went straight to the novel? I don't think anyone writing a novel knows what they're doing. I think every novel is a fresh hell. Like you have to figure it out every time. I mean, I know what works in terms of drafting. Like I know that if I write 500 words a day I will finish you know a 75,000 word manuscript in a certain amount of time but I don't know anything else about like what that process is going to be like if how many revisions it's going to take or like if I'm going to hate it or if it's going to take one year or 10 years like I know nothing I don't know if anyone knows anything maybe you know people who have done it 20 times maybe Joyce Carol Oates knows with her like 60 to 80 novels whatever it is but like not me but are you doing very thorough outlines you mentioned having to write a treatment for your screenplay do you almost write a treatment for your novel are you basically like that like I feel like you hear it in writing classes going down like a curvy one lane highway and you only have that one headlight showing you the way I don't outline fiction because it bums me out. It starts to feel like homework. I don't know. It's like no fun. I just like want to. So homework is no fun? No. Says the daughter of a principal? Yeah. Homework's no fun. No, I don't want (laughs) to. It's it's like becomes drudgery for me if I'm like, and this is what happens next. I also, maybe I will at some point in my life write a plot driven novel. And I hope so. I hope I write a thriller and like sell out and become ridiculously rich. That sounds amazing. But like, I'm just not that interested in plot. It's kind of like, I mean, th- I'm things happen in my writing, but not like not they're not very plot driven. So outlining is not is not part of my process. I loved the story of Stay Up with Hugo Best because of what took place, and it's kind of funny for me to hear you say that. Because so much did happen with these characters and the evolution. And I do want to talk about it a little bit more, too, because you see Hugo Best as this guy who had an encounter with an underage girl. And you did such a great job with the idea of June Bloom, 29 years old, 
and her interactions with Hugo Best's teenage son. And that was something that was so brilliant that you made it from a human perspective of being able to see it both ways. That it wasn't, I'm just going to point my finger and shame this character or shame this man. I'm going to have complexity. So that's something that I thought you definitely outlined. Uh, Spencer, the son's role, he's sort of there for that express purpose. I mean, he's also he's there for a few reasons he's he's really funny he's like a little bit of a sad figure he's kind of like this neglected rich son um but then he's also there um and and the tension of the triangle is like you know helped drive things but um he's sort of there to complicate what the reader thinks of hugo and what june thinks of hugo um, because, as you mentioned, Hugo has this experience with an underage girl, which um, we can all like easily write off as like the wrong thing to do. It's the wrong thing to do, very obviously. Um, and we can make that judgment pretty easily. And then to put June in basically a similar, like the same circumstance that Hugo was in and have to like have the reader ride along where she's actually like making these decisions and sort of like chancing into the right decision and sort of having it be in the reader's face. I wanted to implicate the reader and I wanted to implicate June. There were so many times when June was making decisions and I feel like I know women who would make the same exact decisions as June and I just wanted to scream and be like don't do this this seems like a terrible idea and i know you wouldn't have a novel if you were like i'm gonna be the you know i'm going to avoid conflict at all costs was that something was it experiences that you could even draw from friends not even your own but just june felt like somebody that i've met at bars in new york city or kind of meet anywhere i don't know so like I've talked to some women who had like really strong reactions to the book because of those decisions June makes. Like she doesn't always make the decisions like, you know, decisions an empowered female reader would make. And that makes some female readers mad. So what do you do about that? Because I'm curious as a male writer that I, I am so careful now and I feel like I'm doing myself a disservice by doing that because you're not writing freely then because you're, if you're so afraid of every bad review or every potential person who may comment, how do you even get the story down and how do you keep moving? I guess the thing that I try to keep in mind is um, that the behavior of the characters isn't an endorsement by me. And I think that readers have trouble remembering that too. Like, I'm not saying that this woman made a good decision. I'm not saying like, this is what she should do. I'm not passing judgment on it either way. I'm interested. I'm not interested in um, saying like, you know, at the end, you know, there June shouldn't have a sexual experience with Hugo because the there's a power imbalance. So she should, she should be strong and be able to say no to that encounter. I, and more interested in raising the question of like, is he taking advantage of her? Is she taking advantage of him? Like I'm, I'm not interested in answering those questions. But you were much more interested in telling a great story. And that's something that I think you were able to accomplish and why I think people should go out and make sure that you buy Stay Up With You, Go Best and read it. Definitely buy it. Do you have a child who is applying to college and you want to help, but you're not sure how? Ivy and Quill is your answer. They're the gold standard in college admission essay consulting and editing services. 
with an exceptional turnaround rate of 48 hours or less from when the essay is received. Visit ivyandquill.com and tell them the Writer's Way podcast sent you for a special back-to-school savings. Have you ever thought or considered like wanting to do stand-up comedy? I don't think... Um... I'm not comfortable, this is really bleak, but I'm not comfortable in, um, as a woman, being judged on my physical appearance enough to like ever do anything in a performance capacity. Really? I like think that people are really ruthless to female comedians and like I can't imagine being people being like, dumb, ugly slut, she should sit down. Wow. And, and that's something that would never even go through my mind, right? Yeah. That was like, I'm going to try this. I think this will be fun. And if I bomb, like, nobody will ever know. And for you to say that and just to know those experiences, because it's true. I mean, Amy Schumer had that movie that came out and she was trying to, I think, do a good thing, right? With, like, promote yeah. body image. And it completely got turned around. Yeah. Yeah, it's really rough. I didn't want, I, I don't know. I just like, that was always such a huge deterrent to me is like having to have people judge like your physical appearance in addition to your like intelligence and your ability to write a joke. Just like not for me. Like the intro music and want to hear more? Go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music and search Marcus Bennett. This is the Writer's Way podcast hosted by Justin DeMarco. Today we're in Beacon, New York with Aaron Summers, the author of Stay Up with Hugo Best. And we're going to do a little segment called What's Funny? And Aaron, I'm going to name some novels, some TV shows, some movies, and you're going to let us know what's funny. And the reason why I'm asking you this is on your Instagram, I saw that you have a very famous stamp. Would you mind telling us about it? Um, yeah, so I have a stamp, a rubber stamp that says needs more jokes that is extremely famous with my 723 Twitter followers, hugely famous. And you should definitely be following Aaron. So this is a chance to shout sure, out uh, your at social media. Sure, Aaron, uh, follow me. Uh, so anyway, I said in an interview um, when I was doing publicity for this book uh, that um, I wished I had a stamp that said needs more jokes because most books could do with more jokes. Um, and my sister, my older sister, Bailey, uh, who is hilarious, um, sent me one without telling me she was going to. So I just like opened a package one day and there it was. Um, and so I started stamping things uh, with it and posting them on Twitter. Um, Way to go, Bailey. Your family's like really coming through. Like yeah. mom hooking you up with an agent. Bailey hooking you up with like the coolest stamp yeah, ever. Yeah, I know. Molly hooking me up with this podcast. Well, Molly actually hooked me up because I was reaching out to you. You could have been like, who are you? I don't know. I don't really care. Molly stamped me, if you will, and gave me the seal of approval. That's true. Molly said that he was cool and funny and I should Thank do the you, podcast. Molly. Yeah. Uh, but this will lead into the what's funny slash needs more jokes segment. So needs more jokes. Let's start with novels. Okay. The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. I mean, it's great. It needs more jokes. I had to go to the classic, so let's stamp it. Let's All see right. what this looks uh, like we'll now. Let's see what the stamp looks like. I want to see what this looks like. There are jokes in Gatsby. I reread it recently when I was writing this book. Really? Um, yeah. And it's, of course, published by Scribner. Nice little shout out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the greatest novel ever. take care of your own. 
Well, that was, I wanted to start with a classic just to get, yes. if you're saying like the great Gatsby needs more jokes, like I'm curious to find out. <laughs> like I figured I was going to start really high. Yeah. No, Gatsby is great. It needed less anti-Semitism too. Well, that, when you look back on certain novels yeah. and different time periods, uh, based on characters or not even characters, but just real life people and the way you receive their work or their art and you may love a song or love a novel and then you find out that they're a terrible person how yeah. do you separate that do you separate that no i know there's this barry hannah story that i love and that i and i was recently um i guess paying more attention when i reread it recently and like the n-word is in it like like five times oh geez and it's like oh well, oh whoops like gotta reassess Okay, so The Great Gatsby. Great Gatsby needs more jokes. jokes. Okay. Um, Fifty Shades of Grey by E.L. James. I haven't read it. Um, You're and probably I think, better off. I actually think it doesn't need more jokes because it's a, it's a joke. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Okay, so now this is really interesting. Um, I like where you're. I like where you're taking us. Um, the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. <laughs> um, I haven't read the Da Vinci Code in years, but I don't think, like, is there a joke in the Da Vinci Code? I feel like there's some, like, funny moments with, like, Langdon, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's hilarious that, like, the phrase Harvard symbologist Robert Langdon is hilarious. So does it need more jokes? Or are you saying it it's needs good more as jo- is? It needs more okay. jokes. Yeah, it no, it is jokes. perfect. That oh, novel's perfect. Perfect as, as, as is. is. No, it needs no um, more jokes. It needs more jokes. Okay, so let's do a couple movies now. Okay. Okay, so Titanic starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Needs more jokes. Okay, okay. Titan- that was a fast one. Yeah. Um, Late Night, the Mindy Kaling movie with Emma Thompson. I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Because it was too, uh, like... It made me too anxious that there was like another like late night thing, uh, okay. cultural product out in the midst at the same time as the book was coming out. That made you anxious? I thought that yeah. would have been great for you. I don't know. I felt like, what if it's like to the same? What if it's much better? Like, I don't well, know. Well, the reason that I saw the movie was I saw the movie after I read your novel. So I was like curious, like in the headspace. So I think it's very... It's funny as you as the creator versus me as somebody who consumed it, who read it. I think that movie needed more jokes. Needed more jokes. So I'll answer that okay. for you. But it was really good. Like, I really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. Just needed some more jokes. No, listen, all of these things are good. Oh, Gatsby's good. Oh, Gatsby's. That's what I was like. I wanted to start yeah. high and yeah. then see where we're at. It doesn't. The criteria is whether it could have used more jokes. Whether it could not, have used not more if it's jokes. Not if it's a good piece of art. What about Rush Hour with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker? There that's a funny. That's funny. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. Appropriate number of jokes. So does not does need, not more, need jokes. more jokes. Really? This yeah. is okay. What about Bridesmaids? Kristen Wiig. Doesn't need more jokes. Okay. It was pretty funny. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's do TV shows. Sure. Okay. Uh, so Game of Thrones needs more jokes. Okay. Games Actually, you know what needs... stamp we need for that one is needs less rape. Yeah, that well, there is a lot of rape in that. Yeah, but it, like as the seasons went on, it seemed like there was less, right? I don't know. Did you stop watching? I stopped watching. Yeah. I made it to the end, but it did seem like there was less. um, So, yeah. Okay. That's good. No, I don't know. Um, Yeah. Put me in a really tough spot there, Erin. New Girl. (laughs) A TV show, New Girl. Needs more jokes Um, or no? New Girl was was pretty funny. It had an appropriate number of jokes. So it was like adequate. Adequate jokes. Yeah. Adequate jokes. Uh, What about Seinfeld? 
Seinfeld did not need more jokes. Seinfeld was great. Was great, but great. did it need more diversity? Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> well, I mean, well, we're bringing up other things, right? Yes. Seinfeld was my husband's bar mitzvah theme. So that's yeah. some trivia about this household. Tell me more. Like, what were the table setups? There were, I think they were themed after, um, I might be getting this wrong, but like different, like locations that they oh, I thought like, there was going to be like an Elaine table and like a Jerry no, table. No, but they did. His parents made these like giant, um, they got giant airbrush caricatures of all the characters. So like a giant airbrush Jerry Seinfeld That's to like really, hang really in cool. the like Ramada or whatever, wherever in New Jersey. Best bar mitzvah ever. Yeah. Sounds pretty cool. <laughs> and now I have to ask, uh, I'm going to take my copy of your novel. Yeah. And I need to know, stay up with Hugo Best. Needs more jokes or enough? There are enough jokes. Okay, sweet. It has it has the perfect number of jokes. Even one more joke would be too many jokes. Agreed. I like that. And make sure you go out and buy Stay Up with Hugo Best by Aaron Summers. Aaron, thank you so much for doing this interview today. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It was so much fun. And one last quick thing. Yeah. The Writer's Way podcast. Needs more jokes or enough? It has the appropriate number of jokes. Really? It does not need more jokes. Okay. I thought I had to pick up my game, but... I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. So thank you again. Aaron Summers, author of Stay Up With You Go Best. Go out and get it anywhere books are sold.